It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Green, gardening, and environment radio. Flavored with a dash of humor. Welcome to intelligent, irreverent talk about plants and the planet they grow on. Your questions, comments, and participation are always welcome on Facebook and Instagram at The Mike Novak Show and at Mike Now on Twitter. Good planets are hard to find. Temperate zones and tropic climes. And true currents and thriving seas. Wind blowing through breathing trees. Strong ozone and safe sunshine. Well, good planets are hard to find. Good planets are in the main. Brought to you by Bartlett Tree Experts. Every tree needs a champion. Go to Bartlett.com. Jet streams, perfect air. And here they are, Peggy Malecki and Mike Nova. Good planets are in the Right. That's uh, that's one of the wonderful things about uh, when you control everything yourself. Not only do you get to screw it up yourself, but you get to say, you know what? We're going to do that again. Three, two, one, let's go. And Let's go. And Kathleen, uh, uh, I just texted her, my fault, sorry, because she's the one that uh, put, puts the stream up on the website. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and uh, I forgot to stream. It just like what we did get a couple of comments. The black screen with Mike's voice coming out of it is with a big kiss on it. Somebody put there. <laughs> well, there we go. Well, thank you folks for, for bearing with me. Uh, and I know that uh, somewhere um, Kathleen is, um, is, is out there. And what is she's thinking right now is you're despicable. <laughs> oh boy uh, so there you ah, go dear, 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 hi, dear. hi everybody Welcome. yeah good morning dan cost is watching out there he says burr burr we've got uh ernest is watching from the far western suburbs of chicago in portland oregon hey ernest yeah hey zan zan's well, you... got um she's making raspberry almost almond breakfast rolls with brown sugar glaze in our honor today oh my goodness wow uh, when when do they get here? That's what I, I want to know. All right. Um, yeah, and, and I'm liking and, I'm liking your new lighting there, Mike. Um, why? Thank you. This is my new ring light. Um, I'm I've entered the 21st century only you know six months into the mission here. <laughs> um, You've entered Zoomville. You know what I figured? I figured uh, as long as I'm screwing up, why I I don't deserve to be lighted properly. Uh, <laughs> uh, so there you go. Oh, uh, yeah, so that's that's what we call dramatic lighting. Oops, they got to come back. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> uh, that's supposed to come I'll back. Blame the, I'll blame the llama. Yeah, exactly. Everything on the llama. Hey, everybody, how you doing? Uh, and uh, Dan Costa says it's burr, but it's supposed to warm up for the next couple of days and then get cold again and then get warm again. And gee, it must be spring. Spring in Chicago. Yeah, really. Yes. It must, that, and, and we're about to uh, lurch into April. And uh, 
I lurch into all months. There's there's no way of just <laughs> going into a month. I, no, no, no. I, I have to lurch into it. Um, and we're very happy uh, to uh, have on the show today, uh, in just a second, um, one of our friends from Bartlett Tree Experts, because every tree needs, needs a champion. A champion. Um, go to Bartlett.com. And um, uh, they're, uh, uh, you know, in full disclosure, a proud sponsor of the Mike Novak. Actually, we're proud to have them as a sponsor of the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Um, and then in uh, uh, at 10 o'clock, uh, Peggy and I are doing one of those things where we get the, the emails that come in and they stack and they stack and they stack and... They stack and and we we have time for only so much on the show, mm-hmm. so every once in a while we say, you know what, let's talk about some of these issues uh, that that we see coming across. Some of them are, are going to overlap with uh, Mr. DeMaio as well, uh, because he sent us some homework as mm-hmm. well, uh, some really interesting stuff. So um, we hope uh, you'll join in the conversation, and we hope that you folks who are interested in trees will send in your questions. Uh, whether you're on Facebook or or Facebook, resistance Facebook? is futile. Um, or That's irrele- that is irrelevant too, uh, by the way. Um, and what was the uh, uh, Twitter? Uh, I've decided Twitter is spelled per- pe- per- Periscope. Per- <laughs> All right, Periscope uh, on Twitter, spelled T W I D D E R. Um, and of course, YouTube, Y E W T U B E, and that's for all the uh, the people who like their uh, their plants. YouTube. Hey, and, tree, oh, uh, Skeet's watching. Oh my gosh! So uh, you know what? So that brings it. You know that that's a, that's a good point at which to uh, bring in our guest this morning. Uh, good morning, Evan Shore. How are you? Morning. How are you guys? Good. Uh, you've got you've got uh, Skeet keeping an eye on you here this morning. So always <laughs> better get better get things right. Uh, it's actually something we were talking about uh, just before the show, which is kind of interesting because, uh, like all businesses, uh, uh, Bartlett Tree Experts was affected by the pandemic over the last year. And you were talking about not having meetings together, and that's a new thing because. Um, we play your videos. I've seen the culture of the company. Uh, Peggy and I have been down to North Carolina to the right. research, research facility mm-hmm. there, which is really cool. Um, and there's a lot of uh, togetherness in the company. You know, you guys support each other. And um, uh, that has to have been a strange thing in the past year, not to be around other arborists and, and talk about problems face to face. Yeah, no, I mean, everything we've done has been over Zoom. We just, you know, we always say, like, safety above all else. So the most important part is keeping each other safe. Yeah. So that's kind of – so, so we're, you know, it's, that was a big deal is, you know, we still do our safety calls and everything, but it's all over Zoom. But no one's been to the lab this year um, oh, trying to – Yeah. They, they, now, yeah, was, we there, was there a trip made last year before the pandemic hit? Um, I'm sure there was – I mean, I know it's early. It's in in March, uh, is when well, we. Well, that's that's for everyone. But usually, you know, I would go down to training, and or other, you know, other of us will go on, and we haven't been able to do that for at least a year, so yeah. if not more. So, um, 
yeah, I mean, just doing the best we can. And all you know, whenever we bring in a new employee who does plant healthcare, they go down to the lab to learn. That's all been through Zoom. So mm-hmm. um, it's it's you're doing the best, right? Yeah, it's not the same. It's just not, and you know, and yeah. and we've been there, and and you see all the training, you see all the 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 setups there for uh, where you learn about uh, pollarding, which is like the coolest thing. This line of trees that have all been pollarded and the branches trimmed off and they look like arrows sticking out of the ground. It's kind of funny. Yeah. It's amazing. These sycamores, they, so it's, it's, they do experiments there of course. And so that's one of their experiments, how hard can these trees and there's these sycamores that they've pulled every single year and every year they come back and it looks, they look amazing. It's really, you know, I I've seen them in the winter and you're like, there's no way. And then every year they come back. Like I said, it looked like an arrow sticking up uh, out of the ground there. Yeah. Uh, uh, and oh, and there's Scott Jameson. Good morning, Scott's Scott. There too. Good to talk to you. Uh, so, w- when we talked about having you on the show, uh, you wrote to us, and I put it in my blog. And by the way, folks, you can uh, always go to my blog, mikenobach.net, M I K E N O W A K. If you just go to the uh, homepage, um, you'll see the video that we're streaming, but you can also click right onto the blog. Uh, it says read more and that's where you will, uh, find the information. And so you wrote to us about what happens when you come out of winter with trees. And, and I, and I said, uh, uh, it's a challenge. There's challenges in spring, and and I, right. I imagine a lot of people think that winter is the time for the challenges. But I I think any season poses its own challenges uh, for growing, and especially for trees, uh, because you can maintain a tree all year round in a way you're not going to maintain a perennial that disappears on you. Right. Um, um, talk about Chicago weather too. It's, it's all over yeah. the place. Yeah. So some of the things you mentioned. Uh, and we'll get into this. And again, folks, if you've got questions, write to us and we'll, uh, we'll hurl them at, uh, Evan. It's, uh, we're playing, uh, now what's he done to deserve getting questions hurled? <laughs> no, it's, I, bring them up. It's great. More questions. <laughs> Stump the shore. All right. Uh, but you mentioned, uh, some of the things that you're already seeing are browning of needles on evergreens as well as discoloration and wilting on deciduous trees as leaves mm-hmm. emerge. Um, damage to twigs and branches, cracks or splits in the bark, root issues, which may result in structural instability or tree failure, deer browsing. I don't have that issue yeah. here in the middle of the city, but uh, do you have deer, Peggy, in your yard? Do they ever show up there? Very rarely. Very yeah. rarely. Yeah. You could. More likely yeah. to have I, them. I, on the east side of Green Bay is much more. Yeah. By the way. Yeah. Every yeah. so often, I'll, there'll be a, a couple walking down the street, but not usually. Yeah. Uh, and uh, de- the finally, last but not least, de-icing salt damage on trees near pavement and walkways. And that's where I want to start because sure. uh, there's a legacy for your actions during the winter and that's what happens to your plants in the spring uh, especially your trees and shrubs and there was an article and i linked to it uh the tribune chicago tribune posted a story just about 10 days ago 
and and I and I held on to it because I thought, oh yeah, I we we need to talk about it, and it's about the damage that salt does. Um, and there, uh, um, there are a couple of Cook County Forest Preserve District sloughs. There's a little buttonbush slough, um, and then the buttonbush slough, and one of them is doing great, and the other not so much. Mm-hmm. And the difference is salt gets into the larger buttonbush slough, um, and it's just an example of how harmful salt is um and how i think folks don't really have a sense of how important it is to really ease up on that uh talk about some of the damage that can happen to uh trees and shrubs you said you were doing a little research on this too evan yeah i mean the problem is i mean once we have the the amount of salt or salt damage it's really hard to get that salt um the only, I mean, pretty much what you want to do. How to get rid of the salt, you said. Yeah. Yep. Okay. How to get rid of it. So once you, you want to like just flush the system as much as possible, but that means you're leaching salt into the environment. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, it's, you're say you're trying to save the plant, but also what are you doing with all the other salt that are, that are coming through? So, I mean, there's some products we have that can help the trees where we try to, you know, bind take the salt out and bind it to another, another material. But again, and then you're just using a lot of water, which is another always great thing is, and then you're just trying to flush that system as best as possible. So a lot of times, you know, we'll see some trees that are, people are asking, you know, what's, what's going on with my tree? What's going on with my shrubs? And you kind of look at, assess the situation, look at their, their yard and you kind of figure, well, this is where they plowed and put a lot of salt and snow, especially this year, you know, when we had that, what, couple weeks we were just snowing six to seven inches mm-hmm. uh, or every other day. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It was, you know, their plow companies would come put down the salt and then they would have more snow and they would push the snow up and there'd be more salt. So you're going to see boxwood, you'll see probably low lying shrubs. Um, you know, those, the low lying junipers, they're going to have some salt damage. And it's, it's always, you try to figure out what happened previously t- for this to happen. You know, it's interesting because I I uh, I don't go uh, down Lakeshore Drive much anymore because uh, I live on the west part of the city. But it, it used to be I'd I'd go down Lakeshore Drive kind of regularly, and at, inevitably, after every winter, you'd see this line of shrubs that was that had taken a hit. Oh, I'm hearing a feedback a little bit here. I'm trying to get rid of it. That's oh, is that? Uh, Oh, that that's you. coming off my phone. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. It's called monitoring social. In a little ah, bit. there we go. <laughs> Multitasking uh, social. And, <laughs> and and you could expect it. And, and then they would replace them and they'd put more evergreens in. And I would think, why are you doing that? It's all this salt right. on Lakeshore Drive. You're just going to kill those things again. Um, and it's so... You, and there's not a lot you can do when the city is putting it down, but although in this article in the trip, they talk about how uh, McHenry County is cutting way back and is, and there are other products now that you can use. We had the guy on earlier in the year, which is a preventive ice preventer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, I'd have to go back and look at the, uh, the, the main chemical that, that he uses. I, I have to check that out, but um, salt folks, 
they they come outdoors and 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 I know we're talking salt now when we're probably not going to get any more snow. We might get a little bit of snow, but at this time of year, you really don't need those products. Um, and and you would think, well, why don't you talk about this in the fall or winter going into winter? Well, I'm talking about it going into spring because now you're going to see the damage mm-hmm. that it causes. Mm-hmm. And I had twice this year where I came out <laughs> on my <clears throat> front porch and. My my kindly neighbors, my good Samaritan neighbors, were throwing salt down, and I ran out screaming, "No, no, don't put salt down!" And I've talked about this on the show, but I know that it's because people use way, way, way too much. Uh, there's a guy uh, quoted in the uh, Trib article who says, "Every kernel of salt that you put down will melt a 12-inch radius. That's a foot." One kernel will melt a 12-inch radius. Any more salt you put down beyond that is waste. And it's killing your plants, and it's contaminating the water. One teaspoon of salt can contaminate five gallons of water. And so this is how dangerous the sodium products are. And the best thing you can do is just keep up with it uh, and shovel I know it's a pain. Nobody likes it, especially as you were saying, Evan, when you have uh, uh, several weeks of, the, of that in a row. It seemed like, like I think we had a 10-day period. We had snow every single day, yeah. something it's like that. Snow, right. snow, snow. Yeah. So, uh, and now coming out of that, you see this damage. What do you tell folks if, uh, how, how do you determine whether it was salt damage or cold damage or something else? Well, usually, I mean, the easiest way to do a soil sample test. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, so we, we do soil sample tests all the time, and it's really easy. It's a really easy test. You know, you put, take about a cup of soil, send it to the lab, and then they'll tell us the, the amounts, and they'll, they'll say, you know, sodium's way off the chart, or chloride, sodium chloride's way off the chart, and then we can figure out, okay, well, that's what's going on. Um, so we, usually you can kind of tell because it's where they piled the snow up. You know, you kind of start looking and kind of doing your little detective work on the property, and you're like, okay, well, it's next to the driveway. It's right next to the front stairs. This is where they were piling all the stuff up. Uh, I mean, if you go to like a shopping center, you know, those islands, those trees and those islands are already stressed enough. And then you'll come and there's just four feet of snow piled all the way up. And you know, you're like, okay, well, those trees are going to struggle. So that's, that's typically how we, you just kind of got to do your little detective work, figure it out and do soil samples. And if it comes back, wasn't salt and like okay then we go to the next option and you can but that's typically how we will figure it out and yeah. allison wrote thank you allison uh acetate uh acetate products are the ones that uh, uh the preventers I, I yeah and um um we had mitch vestal president of PlaySafe. uh that was the name mm-hmm. of the company and they have uh, a product uh that they recommend and you can get it pretty much anywhere um, and, uh, I'm going to the, uh, let's see the play safe. Yeah. You just, uh, uh, do, 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 do. We'll just talk here for a while. Evan. Yeah. You guys, well, uh, you guys at at I'm, wow, this is a really interesting <laughs> blog post. Who wrote this? <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> so some radio dude. Yeah. Wow. That's I'm, I'm going to have to watch that show sometime. Uh, so, there are the point is there are alternative products. 
uh, and and please be next going into next winter. See what you can do to get rid of the rock salt. Just yeah. just try, I mean, or if you use it, just cut way back. Go ahead, Evan, and, and put it on the we're ice. Talking about the snow. Yeah, we're also talking is you know we use sand just to kind of increase grip. You know, you're trying to get rid of so someone doesn't get hurt. So sometimes you know we're on very slick areas. We'll bring a bag of sand, and then you can. It's very easy to clean up. And, and, you know, it's, it doesn't really damage the soil too much because we're not putting that much down, but you're also keeping each other safe. So yeah. that's an alternative. Yeah, you can just, okay. with a blower or a broom, you can always clean up. So if there is damage then that you're finding, you know, bring it back to this spring, um, what do you, what's the mediation for that or the remediation? So that's usually where, I, again, I'll start with that soil sample and see where, where we can do uh, we can try to also use materials like biochar, which help increase mm-hmm. pore space. Try to trying to after the fact. Also, yep, you can do it. Really? Okay. Yeah, it helps. Uh, and also, you know, mulching helps too because it you know, helps kind of improve that soil biology. So, mm-hmm. and fertilizing and trying to find the nutrients that are missing, trying to get that tree back to where or plant back to where it should be. Um, all right. All it's right. a lot of remediation time. All right. And, and then the other thing that happens, of course, is people get, they go out and they see, they, they think the tree's dead. They think the shrub is dead. Um, and they start pruning or they think certain branches are, and they start pruning mm-hmm. and then they figure out maybe it wasn't dead. Maybe that, that those branches didn't die. How long do you wait? You mentioned to me the other day that it, it's with the temperatures, going from 45 to 65 to 45 back and forth that uh that keeps some plants off balance doesn't it yeah so we don't really so it's like we talk about being patient um it, each thing is its own living organism so you know each plant each tree acts a little different see it's trying to like for example i had a client who someone said the trees didn't look great and someone said it's time to take this tree out. And I came out and I didn't feel like the tree was dead yet. It just didn't have that look to it. So, and the buds were still there. So I, I thought, let's give it a little more time. And three weeks later, fully leafed out, fine. Mm-hmm. So it was just a late, you know, sometimes, it, it, and when we have these these swings where it's 20, like today, it was, the wind chill was 27 degrees and then tomorrow it's going to be 65. So it, it, it really messes up the tree's biology. So they, they'll start, they'll stop, they'll start, they'll stop. And that's why it's important. You know, you, you have native trees that can deal with this kind of weather that we're having and, and native plants. So it's not uncommon to have a fall, like a mid April snow for the last two right. years. Or last nice year April. Right. Didn't we have like a, like four inches of snow on April 15th, something last year, you know? So that's not uncommon. So you just kind of yeah. got a patient, you know, scouting, looking to make sure the buds are still there. And then just kind of give the tree some time or the, or the shrub too. Well, I, I, folks get impatient at this time of year. They think they should be, uh, you know, at the beginning of March, I was telling folks, be careful. Don't go walking in your garden. Uh, you're just going to compact the soil and then you're going to pay for it all. Well, maybe for years uh, if, if you're right. doing that. Um, and it, things are better now. And uh, I've been, you know, doing little light work in my yard and I'm, I'm about to plant stuff. So, uh, but you did some pruning this week. 
Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. So I was nipping and tucking on on some things. Uh, speaking of uh, something else we mentioned just before the show is um, uh, some trees. We're getting to the end of the period when certain trees can be pruned in their dormancy, mm-hmm. and then you shouldn't prune them during the active growing season. And those are, Evan? Your oaks and elms. Uh, your, your oaks American elms are the ones you're going to want to stop in the next couple weeks. Um, some, some municipalities have hard cutoff dates. Uh, we like to go by what our lab and Morton Arboretum says. It's more a function of weather and, and how cold it is. So that's when we tell people, and you probably have about right now, I, I usually say April 15th, the latest, but it, again, it is a function of weather. So if our weather gets into 60s and 70s and the fungus starts becoming active and the insect that carries the fungus starts becoming active, that's when we want to start because we want to prevent Dutch elm disease and oak wilt on your oaks. So what you're saying is um, when that insect is active, uh, when things get warm, warmer, uh, the trees are more susceptible to those diseases. Yeah. So we go by something called growing degree days. And that is how that is for the insect to be active. It needs a certain amount of growing degree days. And think as of last week, it, it's a kind of a function. It's, a, it's an equation, but we're at, we are at, I think like 50 growing degree days because of the weather being warm. And so as you get into the 200, 250s and, and on, as the year goes on, that's when um, you'll start seeing more insects active. And so that's when we are scouting and watching for certain insects. And, and, and for folks who don't know what growing degree days are, um, and you understand this better than I, but they're cumulative during the course sure. of the year. You start, what I guess, from zero at the beginning of the year, and then as you get warmer temperatures, you add to the numbers. And, and as you said, you, at one point you'll be at 50, and you, then you'll be up at 200, then you'll be up at 500 growing degree dr- days, whatever it is. And uh, the Morton Arboretum, has uh, in their plant health uh, care report, they send out growing degree days, which is kind of cool. Uh, I get that, and uh, and I and I look at that. Um, how does it's, that's all about um, working with nature, isn't it? You know, mm-hmm. at what time of year you're you're going to see certain problems, right? Right, and there's also um, even certain plants. So when mm-hmm. they're plants that will be flowering or, or leafing out and that's when we know those those insects will become active so so you can even just even more working with nature is you know that you know this is when this you know when this fit for, for scythia is starting to bloom or your cornelian cherry dogwoods these insects will start to emerge and so it's even more because because certain areas will have microclimates different than others so those are so if you start knowing what plants are out there you'll start knowing okay this is when magnolia scales in Start to become active. This is when this is active, because you have other telltale plants in their in your landscape. They'll start telling you where yeah. you should going to be active. Right, and and even for for people who want to uh, use certain products, if you're putting down um, corn gluten, um, and you know, and, and I'm going to be the first to to raise my hand and saying uh, I'm not sure that that actually prevents weeds some people swear by it some people don't but it is it does provide nitrogen to your soil uh, organic nitrogen so uh, if if you're if you're looking for that but you can look at certain plants blooming like forsythia 
and know when uh, the weed seeds are about to germinate. Um, mm-hmm. Also, if you know what the temperature of the soil is, I believe it's 55 is when uh, a lot of the weed seeds germinate in that ballpark. Isn't that right, Evan? I believe so. I'm, I'm not. I used to be much better on those, but not as good as I used to. Well, be. you're a tree guy now, not necessarily a, a tree. Yeah. I, uh, uh, that is. We'll see if any of our listeners can answer that one. Yeah, we'll, we'll get get our folks on it. Okay, uh, we actually had a question, um, and I think this is a good one uh, for when we return from the break. And it's about which trees do you recommend the top five trees to plant in 2021? And I think that's a good question because. Uh, <laughs> Folks are always asking me, what tree should I put here? And I can tell you, I have one really good bit of advice about that. I got two. If you can get a native tree, do it. Uh, The other thing is, see what your neighbor has growing in their yard and pick something else. Pick something different. (laughs) Um, We we don't, for one thing, in the city of Chicago, we don't need any more honey locusts, okay? I think uh, we're done with that here. and that's the kind of thing I'm talking about. Uh, that's Evan Shore from Bartlett Tree Experts. Go to Bartlett.com, proud sponsor of the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. We are uh, going to take a short break here, and uh, we'll be back with your questions. From small boat fishermen to your dinner table with safe, free, no-contact delivery, Sitka Salmon Shares brings premium wild Alaska seafood to your door. They're a community-supported fishery offering shares just like your local CSA. All fish is wild caught in season with respect for the limits of the ocean. Line caught and traceable to their fleet. Use promo code NOVAK25 for $25 off the first month of a share. Go to SitkaSalmonShares.com slash N-O-W-A-K. At this time of year, we spend a lot of time indoors with our plants, so help them thrive. The plants you're viewing were treated with Leafzyme, a foliage spray designed to activate beneficial microbes already present on the leaves. A spritz every few weeks promotes growth-enhancing microorganisms that process dust and other particles into nutrition that indoor plants can absorb through their leaves for beautiful and vigorous growth. Go to blazing-star.com and check out their BioGarden line for home gardeners. You have the ability to give your soil a superpower. It's called composting. If you don't have a backyard, you need to contact Collective Resource Compost. CRC has diverted 7,000 tons of food scraps since 2010. They bring you a fresh 5-gallon bucket or a 32-gallon neighbor tote with each pickup. You fill it with organic matter from your kitchen, they swap it out and get it to a commercial composting operation. Fight climate change. Go to collectiveresource.us. And we're back uh, with uh, Evan Shore from Bartlett Tree Experts. Uh, we just got uh, well. We'll we'll get to to that question first, and then there was a another question mm-hmm. that and I came. popped up a quick answer to that one. Oh, did you? Okay. Well, good for you. Um, yeah, that's where I was going <laughs> to say. Uh, the question was: uh, Where can we find a list of native trees? Um, and you can go to the tree selector site at the Morton Arboretum. Great place to go. You guys, uh, uh, Bartlett Tree Experts, you work with the Morton Arboretum. Uh, uh, you're a sponsor of, uh, one of the sponsors of their plant clinic. Um, Correct. And uh, and I know that you guys do a, a lot of work together. So uh, let's get to that question that uh, folks asked. Mm-hmm. Okay, so Top it's five kind trees. of a tricky question. Top five trees. It all depends on your your 
So I like to say right tree, right place. Yeah. So typically we've been having a lot of water issues. So um, if you've noticed precipitation over the last 10 to 15 years is almost up 10 inches a year here. So that's crazy. That's cr- those are crazy. crazy. Yeah. Because Except for the drought that we're in right now, but other than that, well, yeah, it, it's, but so here's our kind of our cycle is going. It's, it goes starting like April till June. We just get water every other day. And then we don't have water till maybe September, October. So it's really stressful on the trees. But a big problem is with people in urban settings regrading. So everyone's mm-hmm. trying to go up and you have these, the back of people's properties is always flooded. So it's important to pick the correct type of tree that can be in that space. So if you're on a higher area, you know I, I always recommend doing your white oaks, your red oaks. Um, Hills oak is really pretty because they have that nice red color. But if you're kind of in a lower area where Bald cypresses um, are one of my favorite trees. They're a, they're deciduous evergreen, so they do lose. They're an evergreen that loses its needles in the in the winter, but they are native. Uh, if you've ever been down to Shawnee National Park, they mm-hmm. are the ones that are sometimes seven hundred eight years old. So it's they're really pretty. Um, other ones I like Cornelian cherry dogwoods. Those are the ones that are you can. They're almost shrub slash tree form. They're good ornamental. They can live, um, they have those white color, or sorry, yellow colors, flowers. Um, and then also I'm a big fan of the new, the, the water tupelo or black tupelo. Again, those can deal with water stresses. And then if you do have an oak, if you want an oak in this kind of a wet area, swamp white oaks do really well. Uh, we, we've seen a lot of those being successful with dealing with our, um, they can deal with their roots being a little more wet. And then evergreens, we evergreens are very tough because everyone wants their arborvitaes and, and spruce trees, but they have issues with having wet root systems. And I mean, also people with these ice storms that happened in the last few months, you see a lot of arborvitaes that just broke off and there's the people's hedges are messed up. So junipers are a little hurt, a little sturdier and they're a little more hardy and they can grow here really well. So if you if you're looking for an evergreen, um, they're not as pretty, but they can they are hardier. And um, I'm a big fan of the junipers. Okay, I had a juniper um, up here in my backyard. Uh, you know, a bird pooped out a seed, and I let it grow for a while, and uh, for like nine years <laughs> or something like that. And then I cut it down and used it as a, a Christmas tree. Um, and then I found out that, you know, I thought I'm, I'm brilliant. I came up with this idea and then I found out people <laughs> in the South do this all the time. This is exactly how they get their, their Christmas trees. By the way, um, uh, let me pop this in here while you were uh, mentioning those trees. I found this photo and I'll get rid of our photos uh, here. Ah, your yard. This is in my yard. I have a, a, a cornus mass, a Cornelian cherry dogwood. Um, now, it is not a native, but it is beautiful. And as you can see, it's one of the earliest bloomers. Uh, it's, uh, it's a harbinger of spring, and, uh, and, and, uh, and it produces the berries, these dark red berries, which if you've ever tried to eat one, they're really tart. They're sour. Um, uh, but the birds love them. 
Uh, I think the squirrels eat them too, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but uh, it's a uh, it's a very very cool plant. So another another ornamental that um, I, I it's becoming more successful is red buds. Um, they have that they'll have a purple little flower as you know as the temperature is warm because you know, they were more of a central Illinois central Indiana kind of tree. They are kind of moving up and doing what we're doing because we're not having these deep, deep freezes like we used to because this is the kind of top of their range, but red buds have become, and they're a really good understory. They do really well um, as an understory tree. You know, it's interesting. Uh, back in the day, um, a number of years ago, I learned from, uh, I wasn't the only landscaper who said this, but the nickname I was told for red buds is dead buds. Um, mm -hmm. And why is that, Evan? They, this, are, this is the top of their range. Yeah. So if they have issues where they just don't come back, they can have a deep freeze and they just don't come back. Um, but again, if they're well protected and they're an understory, we've, they've been fairly successful lately. And you can start seeing them popping up naturally in our, in our um, forests, in, like, uh, in the forest preserves. Yeah, I, saw, I, uh, I talked to uh, uh, an uh, independent garden center owner several years ago who had a bunch of red buds uh, in the area of his uh, business. And he said, look at how many of those original trunks you see, almost none. A lot of them die back and then they re-sprout. Um, I call it uh, pulling a Lazarus on you, you know, where it dies back to the ground and then next year it comes back and the tree can do that over a number of cycles, can't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's, it's stick with it. You know, it's, <laughs> yeah. I, I think they're pretty, and I think that, again, there's a little bit of risk. It's a lot less riskful, uh, risky than, say, a Japanese maple. <laughs> so if you're looking for smaller ornamental, that, that is – and you can deal with a little bit of risk. Those are fairly de – those are decent plants. But, you know, that uh, um, uh, Marta Keen, who's listening – hi, Marta – says she's got two along the Fox River, and they're wonderful. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, in and some parts – Cornelian cherry is starting to right. open now and, too. Right, and um, some people uh, do really well with them. I had uh, I couldn't keep it alive in my backyard. Um, uh, the redwood I had, I'm sorry, the um, not redwood, the, the red um, bud. Red bud. Um, but if you planted it now, it it might do better. I mean, you're looking a few years back. Yeah, that's Different true. Winter. I I yeah, I might try it again if I had room for another tree in my yard. But ah, now, there's always room for another tree. <laughs> Uh, I want to get back though real quickly uh, to the, the the plant you mentioned, the bald cypress. Uh, isn't mm -hmm. this also the top of its range up here? Yes, but they're a little more hardy, so we've had a lot of mm -hmm. a lot of success with bald cypresses. Now, you've got to understand with bald cypresses that they're not a great center of the yard tree because they form something, they call them knees, and they're like, look, their roots kind of come up and they form these almost like bumps. So they're more of the backyard where it's a wet, swampy area. That's, they mm -hmm. love swamps. They're from, um, they almost look prehistoric. So they're, they're really pretty trees. They do really well. And it's a little bit high, but I, we've had very good success with them. Uh, I, and I will add, there's another tree that looks just like it, and that's the Dawn Redwood or Meta Sequoia. Um, right. And 
that's also a deciduous conifer, right? Yeah. I was trying to keep close to natives. Yeah. <laughs> so, I, but yes, the dawn redwood is another successful tree. Yeah. No. 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 But so dawn redwood is native to where, though? Do you know? I believe. I believe California area. Yeah. Like so, Oregon. in if 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 you're talking North American native, yeah. There you go. If you're talking <laughs> Midwest, uh, no. Midwest, no, not so much. And they're very similar trees from what I understand. The difference between the way you tell them is one has alternate branches and the other has opposite mm-hmm. branches. And I can't remember which is which. Do you? So, yeah. So um, bald cypress is ABC, alternate bald cypress, and dawn redwood is opposite. Oh, there's there's the tip. ABC alternate. Okay, very cool. Uh, Alternate bald cypress. uh, I'm going to go look. There are some in uh, the Parkway in Logan Square, and they're beautiful. I mean, Mm -hmm. when they lose their leaves, or when the leaves turn in the fall, or the uh, the needles, uh, I guess you would call them. What what would what would be the exact term? Needles. Needles. Okay, so the mm-hmm. needles turn, and, and it just the whole tree takes on this bronze tone, which is just so beautiful. Now I'm going to go to Logan now that I know the trick, um, and figure out. I could have looked it up too. Uh, I'll figure out which uh, 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 trees those are, whether they're uh, dawn redwoods or bald cypresses. Um, there, but there's yeah. a number of them there, and they're really fantastic. Now, uh, Dan says dawn redwood is native to Western China. Oh. oh. Well, there we go. There we go. Um, Dan's uh, out. He's a good guy. I love it when he when he comes up with his uh, uh, help for the show. Uh, let's go to the uh, the other thing we started talking about. We we got on the, the subject of salt, but um, what about uh, cracks or splits in bark if you're coming out of the winter? How concerned should you be about that? Um, it usually depends on the age of the tree. So mm-hmm. we call them frost. And it's usually on the south and eastern exposure. I'm sorry, you dropped so, out just a second. You call it what? Uh, frost cracking. Okay. So it's when, you know, it's when that freeze and thaw is happening and it's expanding and contracting. And it, it, it can become a structural issue. Um, so like you, newly planted maples, you'll see that that, um, that happens quite a bit. You'll see these little frost cracks or frost fissures sycamores london plane trees get a lot um kind of your smoother bark trees will get it so it's something if sometimes you know if, if the tree's young enough they'll heal up and be fine mm-hmm. so it is something to have looked at you know because sometimes you know there's one where i literally could put my hand into it and, and then it would kind of close up and it would open up and close up and, and it's something just it can be a structural issue going with the tree going forward so it's something to watch for all right, so it, and there's and there's no hard and fast rule about what uh, problem you have. You no, have, have an arborist take a look. You know, <laughs> that's what I would say. Uh, I would suggest yeah, they yeah. go to to bartlett.com and and get an an arborist. But I, I, let me say this now, though. Yes, um, let me say this as I always say when you guys are on the show, because uh, people, some people listening to the show uh, don't have a Bartlett office near them. Uh, in any case, call uh, a certified arborist to take a look at your trees. If you've got problems with the trees, are such a huge investment 
uh, on your property and in your property that uh, it's crazy if you've got a mature tree that you don't hire an arborist to, to come and take a look at it and get professional advice. That's, that's just my, my little uh, soapbox there. Um, now, you also mentioned in your list of uh, problems that you're, you're checking on right now uh, root issues. Uh, we talked a little mm-hmm. bit about that in terms of um, salt, but what other issues might you see at this time of year? So you'll see, um, it's just, it gets, so kind of like they said, what happens above ground usually is because of what's happening below ground. So you'll see a lot of compaction. You'll see a lot of other um, waterlogged trees. This is where you'll start seeing root, root rot and other funguses attacking the base of the trees. And so it's, this is, so this is the time, like I, I always say about mulching, you know, and we also do mm-hmm. um, uh, root invigoration work to try to loosen that soil and try to bring trees back. But we're seeing a lot, again, become the amount of water that we're having is, is that the, there's usually dieback at the top of the tree is because of what's happened at the base of the tree. And some of it's from construction, you know, there's there's construction damage. There's also a lot of it's compaction and a lot of it's um, our water table just being as high as it is. And trees, for example, you'll seeing a lot on the north, you know, in in Chicagoland area is a lot of these uh, white oaks, mature white oaks just die. And it's Mm. because of our, um, it's a big problem. And so you have these 7,500, 150 year old white oaks just dying and there's it's because they're sitting in water and from in the spring and then we have this drought and they don't have any water so the water table is so high that they're just it's you know you think of it kind of like um athlete's foot you know if it's really moist it's really wet that's when fungus loves to live and this fungus it's it's phytophthora root rot is a big problem as we're seeing and and we can do do samples of that we take royal uh, we take root samples send it to our lab get confirmation on that um we have not seen oak wilt um, I don't, I can't say it's not out there, but in our tests, the ones I've been testing, we have not seen it. So right now it's a lot of, it's a lot of actually fungal root rot issues. Uh, and, and you mentioned, uh, I want to get back to the root rot in a second, but you mentioned oak wilt, uh, which is something we're looking out for. Uh, and also, uh, sudden oak death, right? Mm-hmm. Right. We really have, so oak wilt is out there. Um, in it's, Illinois? It's a, it, it, it has been in Illinois uh, last year. I think they're, the Morton Arboretum you know, take is, is and the Illinois Extension Office are always on the lookout. Uh, I think there's been, as far as any one or two confirmed cases, um, but it's, it's, it's not as prevalent as we think it is. It's more of, uh, you know, all the samples we've done, you, you do a lot of, so to the sample for it, you, you take a, a, such a twig or branch and you put it on ice and you send it down to the Morton Arboretum or the Illinois Extension, and they will, or the Bartlett Lab, so I send them to our store on personal lab, and they will test it out to see if that fungus is present. And we actually at our lab have the ability to do DNA testing, and we didn't find any. And I did probably five or six tests last year. We didn't find any. So I, it's out there, but we're just not 100% sure how prevalent it is. Mm-hmm. Um, it, what we're seeing more is actually root rot. The uh, Phytophthora root rot is more of our issues. And uh, you mentioned earlier that people change the grade, and, and I'm going to point at you, Peggy, because you've been the victim of that. Uh, 
in your own backyard. Uh, can you explain the situation to Evan? And he's probably seen this before. It's it's kind of the whole block. Um, from the next block over, when a couple new homes went in several years back, the grade got put higher, and it all just has headed to this side of the street, and everyone's yards get totally flooded. And it's just, you, you get clay soil, can't absorb it, Heavy right. rains coming through. Last year was was different because we didn't have those same heavy rains. But usually on the heavy rains, everything's flooded underwater, just sits there, and then it dries out again. I'm surprised to hear you say that because don't forget, last year was the wettest May on record in this part. But there wasn't a, a lot of – it might it wasn't that sudden heavy rain. It's the sudden heavy rain that totally floods the yards. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and so you're seeing – Again, as you say, with the heavy rains we've had, Evan, uh, trees that in the past were perfectly fine and could handle it are now beginning to be stressed. Yeah, because they're just they're literally sitting in water. You know, the water table mm-hmm. is so hot that they're sitting in water, and it's just water is. I mean, you know, where we live, we live in one huge big floodplain between Lake yeah. Michigan and the Plains, the Fox Valley. You know, so we have very clay soils, so we have great organic material but once you get past the organic matter it's clay and so this water just sits i mean one example is we there was a cottonwood that was dying so we took it out and we ground the stump and water started coming up and we thought we hit a sprinkler line Hmm. and but it was actually just the water table like that's how the water was and this was in riverwood so it's you know it's, it's a very wet area it's close to the displays <laughs> over there it's close to displays river and so it's it was like i was shocked because i i'm like oh we hit a sprinkler line we have to fix that and <laughs> for sprinkler system <laughs> it was just that's how high the water table was and wow. this was like june so this wasn't like you know we just didn't have a rain so it's it's kind of <laughs> that's the reality of what we're dealing with holy smoke and aren't okay i could be wrong about this don't cottonwoods like water they love water. That's I mean, what it's, I thought. So even if a cottonwood I mean, is is suffering, yeah. yeah. What about so, native willows? If you've got a low lying area with that problem, they love them. They will soak that water up. <laughs> the weed, they love it. Um, uh, you know, and and that's what I'm saying. Right tree, right place. So sometimes mm-hmm. you have to have. But um, but the problem with that, as you just said, it was the right place until mm-hmm. recently Too much. And, that, and now it's not the right place and yeah. how do you adapt to that you can't change the grade of everything you have to then i guess prepare for the future now let's plant a swamp white oak uh and right. in a rain garden and, and hope that it gets and right, no in a rain garden and swamp white oaks work yep yeah and, yeah, and what other that. trees can handle awesome. water so that's why i said the water black tubelo can handle it very well mm-hmm. you know they, they swamp so you kind of honestly you look for trees that live in swamps um that's what says swamp white oaks the bald cypresses they can deal with very poor soil conditions um even your some of your, like uh even like the hybrid elms you know the the, the elms that like a, they're harsh siberian elms they're american elms that are the hybrid ones that are resistant to dutch elm disease they can they can do fairly well in those kind of areas hmm. um Certain maples, um, you know, silver maples are pretty hardy. Yeah, even 
you know, and off the top of my head, that's if you look it up on Plant Finder, they'll they'll be able to help you write. Right yeah, so, mm-hmm. some people consider silver maple a junk tree. Um, right. Yeah. I mean, they they and, can and, be they can be messy and and they'll get uh, tar spot or is that what they call it? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Tar spot. Um, well, a lot of maples will get that anyway. I was little helicopter seeds everywhere that people don't like. Yeah, they just it drives yep. them crazy. Um, yeah. Although th- that's one of my pet peeves is just anybody who can't uh, deal with any kind of lit- litter from a tree. It's like this is why we plant males, and then we have too many male trees, and pollen yeah. is everywhere. If you talk to uh, mm-hmm. um, Tom uh, Ogren, uh, allergy free gardening. Uh, he, mm-hmm. he he writes about that. Well, we have just a, a few minutes left. Uh, I wanted to get back to something you mentioned earlier because you did talk about shrubs a little bit. And even people don't have trees, sometimes have shrubs. Uh, box, mm-hmm. You were mentioning boxwoods, and they can sustain winter damage, but there's also a boxwood blight out there. Uh, what's, the status of, what's the status of that? Um, it's not good. <laughs> I mean, it's... <laughs> Yeah, I I mean, boxwoods, if you, okay, they're they're beautiful. When you have a beautiful boxwood hedge, we we have very few evergreens, so they can keep your property looking nice all year round. Mm -hmm. The problem is boxwoods are a plant that has a lot of diseases, and the boxwood blight is is a fungal disease that can go from one, it's very, um, their spores are very sticky, so they can, so when you have sprinkler systems, they can spread those spores Mm -hmm. all over the edge and so once one gets them it goes kind of quick and um so there's a couple options removing the infected ones but also doing a treatment program a preventative treatment program which we've been doing successfully for um so this has been happening on the east coast for years and so they've been have very successful treatment programs that even if you have it you can trim it out prevent it and let it recome, come back. And, it, and it's using fungicides. And it's, it's you know, if you want to keep that hedge, you're going to have to use fungicides or you, like I said, you might have to do, do a different plant, but um, it's been, it's been successful. It's, it's, it's usually, usually five or six treatments. I mean, it's, it's fairly invasive, but if you have a thousand boxwoods, it might be worth it for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, on the other hand, you might want to try a different plant. Uh, yeah. uh, right. people love their boxwoods. I, I can remember, uh, back when I was at Gargantua radio down the dial, I got asked to be a judge in the Dearborn garden walk. Uh, mm-hmm. when they did that, I get, they don't do that anymore. Uh, but so we were judging a bunch of gardens. I swear every single garden had boxwoods. That's, that's mm-hmm. what you grew in that part yeah. of the city, all boxwood hedges. And I just all trimmed. All, yeah, all trimmed mm-hmm. within an inch of their lives. See, and I have a boxwood in my yard, and um, I'm, I'm embarrassed to say I don't remember the variety. I got it from um, back when uh, the Midwest – remember when the mayor did the one lens, uh, uh, one uh, garden show out yep. in, in Grant Park, and it rained yep. the whole week before, and everything turned to mud, um, so they never did it again? <laughs> I can remember the opening night gala – indoors 45 degrees uh moisture dripping from the ceiling onto women in black gowns there was a line to the bathroom not because they needed to go to the bathroom because it was the only place that was warm um and people wanted to just get warm for a few minutes that was the strangest thing uh i i rescued a couple of boxwoods from there 
And one of them is in my backyard in the corner and it's six feet tall now. And I don't, mm-hmm. I don't trim it except, you know, I don't, I don't shear it. Let me put it this way. Right. Every now it's and then. It's not a topiary. Right. I, I remove some branches usually in the, uh, in December or not December, in November to create my evergreen container in the front of my house. I have another evergreen and I just make my own, get my own greens. But other than that, I just let it go. And it's gorgeous. And it's not sheared mm-hmm. and it's not a, any kind of shape. It's just, it's whatever, wh- however it wants to grow. And uh, this summer, when I had 10,000 sparrows in the backyard, they all seemed to live in that shrub because it was mm-hmm. still green. Mm-hmm. It still had a yep. shelter. Um, and it served a wonderful purpose for them. Yeah. So uh, even even a boxwood, you can let grow. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> so and as, it, as Scott comments, mix it up with many different types of boxwoods. Don't just use one. Yeah. That's the other thing. There's, there's many different varieties of boxwoods. What were you going to say there, though, Evan? Uh, oh, yeah. No, I mean, they're, they're nice plants. But, you know, the shearing, if you hand prune them, too, that helps. Open that's what I do, they, yeah. You know, if I'm going to take yeah, some branches off. In, right, yeah. it's, it's the tight and shearing, which people like that English kind of garden look. But, you know, what, you, what you're doing at that point is you're just allowing that. F- and then you're also transporting that fungus all around. So it's mm. so it's important that you you know mix it up. Oh, and by the way, that plant does not have a lick of disease ever. Yeah. I've I've yeah. not had it, and I don't know if it's a variety. Are, there are varieties I would assume that are not susceptible. Yeah, there's more resistant varieties, um, I, but also because you allow it not to be in a hedge, you allow it to grow and and grow out by itself. It's it's much more successful. And get and air. It's right. And 10,000 sparrows live in it. So, <laughs> <laughs> and, and I'm finding out from Kathleen that there are many different kinds of sparrows. So this is, uh, uh, this is uh, what, I, what I've learned over the winter. Okay, in about a minute that we have left, what advice uh, can you give to folks uh, as we move into spring? We've, we've hit a lot of things, but what is it that's foremost in your mind when you uh, get to a property? I mean, mostly right now, I want to be looking for, this is also a good time to do some pruning. Do you, you still have time to do some dormant pruning. Um, also, you want to start getting set up for the year um, with what kind of plant healthcare programs you want to put together. Uh, you, this is when you're going to want to look for your broken branches. You're going to, if you want to do any sort of shaping or opening up of canopies, this is now a good time to do that. So you can also now see if there's any also diseases that you weren't able to see last year because you know, there's no leaves on the trees. So sometimes you're able to see certain scale insects a little easier and you can kind of catch, do remediation before the infestation gets too big. So now is the time to kind of have an arborist come out, even though there's no leaves on the trees, this is also a great time for us because we're not walking through three feet of snow, trying to find your trees. <laughs> we're able to see issues, you know, that, that before you can kind of catch them before they get to like, for example, Magnolia scale was really bad last year. Now we can actually do a dormant oil, kind of help bring that mix sh- and then get you on a program so it's not, you don't have that gross sap all over your new brand new patio that you can't, and then you can't use it for two months. <clears throat> and now's the time to kind of start doing some remediation. Uh, <laughs> uh, Zan says, Mike, we're going to put, he used to be a gargantual radio down the dial on your gravestone. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> That's how I want to be identified. Well, okay. she's thinking of you, I guess. Yeah, I know. <laughs> um, uh, thank you so much, Evan. There was something else that just popped into my head, and that made it fly. I was, 
Yeah, I was, we're, we're out of time. I was going to ask what the season looks like for viburnum beetles this year. Uh, that's going to be a bad one. <laughs> oh, really? Uh, last, yeah, that, that's something. That, that's another one you want to scout for because last year was bad. Um, I even had them. On, I had them on my. They love arrowwood viburnum. So and that smooth, the smooth leaf viburnums, mm-hmm. and it, and it's it's um, it's getting progressively worse. So so that's something to scout for. Okay, that's good. And also, I'm going to look. Uh, I I remember what I was going to say is I'm going to start looking to see which plants got zapped by those two weeks of ridiculous cold. Uh, I got a mm-hmm. feeling I might have lost some buds on some of my, you know, I, I'm going to look at my hydrangea. I have a blue billow and I have a oak leaf hydrangea and there's a, a tiny little azalea, Herbert. Uh, but it got buried in the snow, so I'm thinking that it probably got through it. Here in the city, we had so much snow that some of the smaller plants yep. got protected from the cold. Um, and uh, But people out away from the lake here who didn't get all that snow uh, might have to deal with some of that cold coming into the spring. Yeah, we were pretty lucky. The soil didn't really freeze. You know, it, there was such – the snow on top insulated quite a bit of – so I don't, I'm not going to have as much root damage as we did a few years ago um, we'll see. when we had that really bad polar vortex, but we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. All right, uh, Evan Shore, and we, and we also didn't mention you're, you're from the Northbrook office, so that's, you're Peggy's arborist. Um, and, uh, and there are four offices around the Chicago area and in many states – uh, you can just go to Bartlett.com. You type in your uh, zip code, and you can find out uh, if there's a uh, an office near you and uh, have an arborist representative come out. And by the way, I, I would have said arborist representative. I didn't have enough, quite enough room on the uh, the Chiron there. No uh, uh, but, but he, uh, Evan, is a certified arborist, and he is an arborist representative for Bartlett Tree Experts. It's great seeing you. Uh, hope we see you soon, Evan. Thank you, guys. Uh, have a, Thanks, a great a great Sunday. You too. All right. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Uh, When we come back, Peggy and I discuss a few things that uh, you might find interesting. The best thing about my job is the excitement of uh, waking up every morning, just wondering what the challenges are going to be that day. How do you like my office? We lead with safety. It's the first thing that I think about when I wake up. It's the last thing I think about when I go to bed. We've got a number of employees in the office, myself included, who've been been around for 10, 15 plus years. So people enjoy working for the company. Staff retention is a thing that we're very, very keen on. It's no secret that the world of arboriculture is a male-dominated industry, but there is a fearless group of women out there that are determined to change that, and I'm really proud to be one of those women. At my office, I feel like you could take just about anyone put a crew together and send them out to a job and have it be successful. And that has to do with trusting the people you work with, feeling safe around them, and knowing their strengths and weaknesses. One of the proudest moments working uh, with Barlet for me was being the first to do training in a Spanish class. Bartlett is all about promoting from within. We really want to focus on our people and make sure that they're trained, make sure that they understand their role, and you slowly grow through your experience, and then you improve and, and move on to different roles within the company. 
there's always new positions, even at a base level, myself included. I started off as a climber and have worked my way through to being local manager in the office. Bartlett has been really great about recognizing any kind of roadblocks for different genders, different races, people of different nationalities, and just kind of taking a bulldozer to all of those roadblocks. Every tree needs a champion. 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 Welcome to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Green, gardening, and environment radio with just a soup-son of humor. Or is that a dash? Brought to you by Bartlett Tree Experts. Every tree needs a champion. Go to Bartlett.com. Here they are again, Peggy Malecki and Mike Novak. All I need is good food to eat and make me healthy, wealthy, wide awake. Lettuce, tomatoes, root, and bacon. What about those sweet potatoes? All I need is good food to eat. All I need is good food to eat. All I need is good tools to make. What? No. <laughs> What? Wait, you just cut the music off? <laughs> I forgot to set that uh, parameter there on the. Oh, uh -oh. all right. Uh, all I need is good. What's the last thing hip, I heard? It's like. Hip, hip, hip. Oh, Alan, boy. Alan. Uh, it, oh, yeah, I don't know what's, uh, what's, what's, what's wrong with me today. Okay, let's do that. Not then. enough calls. Alan! Alan! <laughs> Alan! 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 All right, there we go. Yikes. Did you refill your coffee? Uh, no, I didn't. I, I probably should have. Um, oh, I should boy. have uh, refilled my coffee. And, uh, you know, remember when I uh, was yelling at my neighbors uh, about putting salt down on... You were running out the front door, rushing uh, at them? And saying this. Oh, that wasn't a bit nice. <laughs> you have made me very angry. <laughs> Very angry indeed. So there you go. <sighs> and they were being nice. Uh, they were. That's why I feel bad. I mean, I feel like the the cranky old next door neighbor and uh, <laughs> the crazy. You kids get off my lawn. Exactly. Except I don't have a lawn, so I don't. I don't yell. I say what I do is I say, <laughs> "You dogs, get out of my garden!" All right. So uh, and you and squirrels it, get off my bird feeder. Uh, yeah. Or I'll throw desiccated daffodil bulbs at you. I thought that was daffodil soup. Uh, that's well. That's what I use the rest of them for. Is uh, a daffodil <laughs> soup. So. Ew! Uh, and you said your daffodils are blooming nicely now too. Oh my goodness! I don't. I, I should have taken a photo. I have and and popped it up there. If you hang on, I'll 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 go take a photo now and and bring we, it back. We need the yard cam. Well, um, Seriously, we got to do the yard cam one of these weeks. You know that would be great. Let's, uh, yeah, we could set up a yard cam. I got an extra cam here and just pop it in the back. And I don't know why we couldn't. And we or could watch. Kath or Kathleen could be outside with your phone. Um, we could, you know, watch Ten Thousand Sparrows in 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 the yard. Wouldn't that be fun? Uh, welcome why back not? to the show, everybody. Um, it is uh, almost spring. Um, well, actually, it is spring. It is you spring meteorological and even 
climatological and spring, spring, spring. Yes, it is. Hey, Audrey's joined us. She says happy spring. Uh, there we go. But you know, I don't. March doesn't count because March is just. Uh, you know, you you never know exactly what you're going to get. Well, or yeah. April. I mean, uh, ice. Well, that's snow. true. Given given what we've had uh, uh, in the past uh, couple of years, uh, so mm-hmm. uh, I'm going to see if. So, this where one... do you want to start here? Because uh, I mean, we're talking about winter. You know, one of the. We... You know, we were just going to go over some of the things yeah, go ahead. that what we are... never have time to talk about. Um, go for it. There's been a couple of articles uh, based on a recent study, Bill Turk of Bill Turk and Carrie Kendall fame, um, sent one article and there was another one in the Tribune. That the Tribune headline, first of its kind study, shows water hundreds of feet below the surface of Lake Michigan is warming. Quote, that's a lot of water. That's a lot of change. And... Um, Basically, this new study published this past week by the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration says climate change, warming could change the seasonal patterns of the lake, which is then going to change the ecosystems and industry. And speaking of of the whole winter season, Lake Michigan and the Great Lakes turn over twice a year, um, dimictic, I think they call it, dimictic mixing. And based on warming, they're finding that the temperatures are getting warmer way deep in the lake, and that could change it to a once-a-year cycle instead of a twice-a-year cycle. Wow. And um, it's kind of scary when you read these studies of just how much the change is affecting, and it's going to affect the fish and everything else down there. But what they did was they've been studying for 30 years with temperature sensors in the Great Lakes. And they've got 30 years worth of data. That, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's not just... And I'm looking at myself really big. Yeah, you are, because uh, <laughs> that's, that's that's the way I said it. I can, I can go back there. Okay. Oh, thank you. Back. Sure. No, come on. It's like you never you never get to take stage here. So uh, I figured uh, I, I would just do that. Um, so, um, yeah, it's uh, Project Planet's got another great coverage of it um, off of CNN weather winter is vanishing from the deep waters of Lake Michigan that's the thing that study is the one that's sort of yeah that's the same study yeah uh, but there was yeah. also another one um, that uh, ABC did and it's kind of related and actually this is sort of uh, Rick DeMaio territory yeah because uh, yeah, it, it go ahead I, I, I was going to say it, it's pow- okay you go no it's it, just real quick where Rick DeMaio comes in, um, how we've talked about lack of ice coverage on the lake and how that's affecting our um, lake effect snows. Right. And uh, this story from ABC, powerful gusts linked to global warming are damaging water quality and creating a hazard for fish in Lake Erie and perhaps elsewhere in the Great Lakes, according to researchers. Extremely high winds occasionally churn up deep water with low oxygen and high levels of phosphorus in Erie's central basin <laughs> and shove it into the shallower western section, creating a hazard for fish and insects on which they feed. Uh, and those events, according to this story, have happened more frequently since 1980, and in particularly in recent years, uh, the University of Guelph said in a paper published in the journal Nature Scientific Reports. Yeah. So that's kind of connected to that, too. I mean, you know, with the uh, mm-hmm. 
deeper waters uh what with uh um the the deeper waters warming yeah and uh and that's just uh they're saying this could have a pro- profound impact mm-hmm. uh from the weather you know everything from weather to yeah. food supply and this is the stuff that Rick DeMaio talks about all the time yeah well the CNN article and I just posted the link up on Restream um has some interesting maps up there of Great Lakes ice coverage as of January 20th. Now we know that it changed a little bit when it got super cold, Yep. but January 20th, there was total coverage of 3.9% across all of the Great Lakes of ice. Um, and you match that with the Great Lakes record heat, July 2020, Lake Michigan, for example, was 10.4 degrees above normal. Lake Superior was 5.9 degrees above normal last July with Huron at 9.6, Erie at 7.3, and Ontario at 9.7. So the surface temperature never really cooled down, um, which is also affecting that dimictic cycle of mixing because the water's warmer. Mm-hmm. So uh, it shows you it's not just the oceans that are being f- affected by this. Uh, the Great Lakes uh, are obviously large enough to... Mm-hmm. Um, be changing as well due to climate change. Uh, we'll have to bring this up a little bit with uh, Rick when yeah. uh, when he's here. Uh, another thing that just came across my desk the other day, and um, I want to... We, we need to get that APUPI sound behind us. I used to, I used to uh, back in the day when I first started in radio, I was at WWJ Radio in Detroit. And um, I was uh, I was in news. I was the the, mm-hmm. the desk editor. Uh, but I did they, at WNUR when I was in college. Oh, there you go. Uh, and this was the uh, CBS affiliate in Detroit, uh, much like BBM is here in Chicago. And we had those old machines then, mm-hmm. and they would be going chung 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 chung. And then if you had, it would ding uh, according <laughs> to, you know, and, and, and to how the importance of the story. So I can remember the. I'm there on a Saturday afternoon, one day, and I and I hear, and it's like a five dinger. I went, uh oh, a five dinger. What happened? And <laughs> Elvis was dead. Uh, that was the Elvis five- had left the building. Elvis, <laughs> very good. Thank you. Uh, and and it just makes me wish that um, that this guy was saying Elvis. Alan. Elvis! 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 Yeah, so I, I had a couple of five dingers there, but that was that was the biggest one. When, we need those sound effects. We'll have I, can to look get, for those. I can get those. I can get those. Um, mm-hmm. That's that's uh, we have the technology to do that. So the other thing uh, I wanted to bring up was something that I was alerted to via Green Talks and their part of uh, uh, ball publishing and, and uh, they have all these different publications and newsletters that come out. We've had, um, and I'm blanking on his name, um, the guy from yeah. Grower, Grower Talks. Uh, uh, Chris Beatty. Thank you. Chris Beatty from Grower Talks. And so I was looking at Green Talks, and this is where I first found out about this, that uh, there is a court case recently, and this is something we, t- we talked about on the show at the beginning mm-hmm. of the year. And it was about what's organic. 
what constitutes organics, USDA organics, uh, and, yeah. and if you recall... And, and why some of the alternate labels are coming out. Right, and like the Real Organic Project, and they have their own label, Real Organic, which they uh, mm-hmm. attached on top of the... Um, uh, the USDA label and uh, Ariel Pressman from Real Organic Project joined us back in January. Is one of the first shows of the year, and it was the first show of the year, as as a matter of fact. And uh, and so I was kind of interested when I saw the court case just the other day. A uh, U.S. District Court in San Francisco ruled this week that the USDA was correct in certifying organic hydroponic operations as eligible for the National Organic Program. And this is a big deal because people like the Real Organic Project uh, and others feel mm-hmm. that hydroponics is not organic. In, there's in no a, soil. There's no soil. So you don't have that biology in there. Um, and uh, in a rulemaking petition, plaintiffs, uh, the plaintiff was Center for Food Safety asks the United States Department of Agriculture to prohibit the organic certification of hydroponic production systems. USDA declined the request. Uh, CFS now seeks a review of the USDA's denial letter. Uh, As set forth in detail below, defendant's motion for summary judgment is granted and plaintiff's corresponding motion is denied because USDA's denial of the rulemaking petition reasonably concluded The applicable statutory scheme does not exclude hydroponics from the organic program. It sounds just like legalese to me. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, and you know that uh, I I assume there's going to be an appeal uh, to this. um, And it's still, uh, I know those organizations, in fact, this might be a reason to get Mm -hmm. um, the people from the Real Organic Project back on the show and, and get their response to this. Yeah. So hydroponic systems are nowhere explicitly prohibited, quote unquote. Yeah, and, and it seems to be I don't know, it sounds like it's just dodging the question. Is is it really organic if you don't Who's have Who's paying them off? The biology if you don't have the biology involved, yeah. How is it organic? I don't know. So that is something that is going to be uh, we need to go revisit that one. We will, we will absolutely revisit that. That court ruling just came out a couple of days ago, a few days ago. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, some, uh, unless you've got something else, I'm looking for... Well, I've got the uh, Clean Energy Jobs Act, which we've oh, talked right, about, right, right, right. as well as the um, Path to 100 Act. Both of those, this is as of March 17th, the Illinois House Energy and Environment Committee advanced both of the energy bills that would overhaul the state's energy industry to the House floor. So they are being supported by local rep Curtis J. Tarver. And both of those bills would increase the cap on energy bills, um, provide more green jobs in the state, develop renewable energy sources such as wind turbines and solar power, commit Illinois to cutting carbon from the power sector by 2030, reduce pollution from gas and diesel by electrifying the transportation sector and create jobs and economic opportunity across the state um, and address a lot of social justice issues as well. And we've had um, Lisa Albright's been on the show about that. And uh, Albrecht. Albrecht, I'm sorry, from Albright. From Albright. <laughs> there we go. 
Um, and uh, so that's moving forward. And uh, we have uh, learned uh, in the past week, I believe, uh, uh, about the right to garden bill. Mm-hmm. Uh, it From is, Nicole. Yeah. Uh, now that one got through the uh, the House um, committee, um, seven to one vote, and it, it, it moved forward. However, it looks like the Senate uh, in the General Assembly of Illinois is going to be a, a tougher nut to crack. So at the moment, they've pulled that bill uh, until things are more favorable. See, there's, this is the blowback from the Municipal League in the state of Illinois. Um, as you know, this bill that uh, Nicole Virgil from Elmhurst is trying to get passed would, it's called right to, well, it's not called right to garden anymore. It was in the other version, but it protects people's right to grow vegetables in their backyard and that's because she's has been denied the opportunity to do that with a um a hoop house in her backyard in Elmhurst so uh so right now that bill is on hold and will it get through this uh the session of the general assembly this year don't know it's it's kind of hard to to say at the moment somebody just asked and I'm not sure the answer on this isn't there organic for stuff in the fluids used in hydroponics? Um, that's a really good question. Uh, I don't know. I don't have the answer to that, and that's that's why we need to, to research this more um, and uh, uh, have some of those folks on, on. Ask them that question. Okay, how, how does that work? Uh, but, uh, but I will say something about soil is um, it's – there's – much in there that we don't even know about. I mean, I've read enough things about soil to know mm-hmm. that uh, we're still discovering what what goes on in soil and what and what biology is down there and what what the nutrients and micronutrients are doing. Uh, you can't possibly put all of that into a solution, um, in, into a hydroponic solution. And this is what. The, those people from Real Organic Project and like-minded people are arguing that the soil is different. Yes. It's, it's different. So, uh, and speaking of soil and As growth. Jeannie says, soil is alive, says Jeannie. Yeah, it is. Well, there's, there's a ton of biology in healthy soil, as we know. Um, and the, uh, something else that came across the desk, ching, 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 ching. Uh, <laughs> that's a 20 beller <laughs> um, Ellen yeah, yeah well, well that's always uh, it's ready it's, Alan, it's, Alan, okay. Alan, yes Alan, no, that's the Alan, 20 beller oh Alan. there we go that's the 20 beller right oh, there is, is that is that the, the 20 beller okay Alan. um the uh environmental working group has come out with the dirty dozen for 2021 now Okay. Many of the same. Don't, don't 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 say anything yet. No, I'm just saying many of the same, I presume. Many of the same. Uh for those people watching us right now, type it in real quick. I want to know what is the number one uh fruit or vegetable that uh uh is subject to uh pesticide use that you're going to find the most pesticides on if you buy it traditional stuff in a supermarket number one what's number one type it in real quick let's see the answers um i'm betting some folks will ha- will have a guess because i want to 
let's uh, we can come back to that. I want to see what some of the, the the responses are to this. No cheating. You can't go to environmental working group. I just off the top. Nope. Of your sorry, head. Marta. Nope. Uh, Dan's got it. Uh, Marta. Uh, Dan's got it. Well, you should. Why give it away? I wanted to see what more responses were going to be. We could have said, "Oh, they are coming in." Yeah. What's, and, and what's two and three then? Uh, all right, good. That's good because strawberries are number one. All right, tell me what number two is, and it's heartbreaking. Uh, strawberries, yeah, definitely uh, numero uno. Uh, it's the shopper's guide to pesticides and produce. Yeah, three three is scary. Uh, two and three are scary, uh, actually. Uh, and and I see ten has moved down. Oh, and by the way, potatoes. That's uh, if you read um, Michael Pollan's book. Um, what's the what's the book? Uh, he takes the four where he takes the four. Um, uh, plants, marijuana. Yeah, uh, the t- uh, tulips. Not omnivores develop. Uh, not no, omnivores that, that came dilemma. Afterward. Yeah. Um, uh, I don't know. It's it's on the shelf in the other room. Yeah, I, can, I I don't have it here in front of me. I'm trying to remember the name of it. Um, and he examines and he talks about potatoes and what, how conventionally grown potatoes. If you, if you read his book, you will never buy a conventionally. Uh, uh, that's, uh, at that point, I stopped buying conventionally grown potatoes, and I only get organic potatoes now. That's that just, I just couldn't deal <laughs> with it. Uh, so have we had our, our guesses here? We've had, we, they're all Avocado, over the board. Avocado, that's interesting. Cauliflower, tomatoes, potatoes. It's a great book, Ernest, but what is it? Tell us what the book is. Okay, I'm going to go through the Nobody's got it here. Okay. I I got the list. I can paste it when you're ready. Sure. Number two is spinach, okay, in the Shopper's Guide to Pesticides and Produce. Number three, kale, collard, and mustard greens. Botany of Desire. Botany of Desire. Thank you. Who gave us that? Was that? uh... Zan. Thanks, Zan. Um, number four is nectarines. Number five is apples. We had a guess for apples. They're, they're, they're in the top five. Six is grapes. Seven is cherries. Eight is peaches. I'm surprised peaches aren't higher, uh, because I look at, you know, I would think that the, the fuzz would hold on to that stuff. Um, nine is pears. (laughs) 10 is, uh, bell and hot peppers. 11 is celery. 12 is tomatoes, another reason for you to yeah. grow your... I think the peppers used to be higher up on the list. I was surprised that they moved down. Now, they also have the Clean 15. So these are the cleanest uh, produce. To answer that avocado question. Number one. Avocado is number one. Sweet corn, this surprises me, is number two. Turn here. Um, yeah. Pineapple is three. Onions are four. Papaya is fifth. Sweet peas, frozen. Why they have to be frozen, I don't know, is six. Eggplant is seven. Asparagus is eight. Broccoli is nine. Cabbage is 10. Kiwi is 11. Cauliflower is 12. Mushroom, 13. Honeydew melon, 14. Well, and if hmm. you've got honeydew melon, cantaloupe, of course, 
is right behind it at 15. And so a lot are, of these you peel anyways. Yeah. So those, uh, and you can go to um, ewg.org. You said you were going to post. Uh, yeah, I've. The, the Clean 15 and the Dirty Dozen. Um, and um, uh, you can get their guide, a uh, downloadable version of the Clean 15 and Dirty Dozen list so that you can uh, <laughs> take it with you. St- stick it in Take your it pocket. Take it with you to the store. Memorize it. All you, all you, all you need to Grow know it is yourself. strawberries. All you need to know is yeah. strawberries. Well, are, well the oh. good thing on, on having that list is people can't always buy everything organic or find everything organic. And it's right. a really good guide of if you're only going to buy some things organic, these are the things that you want to focus on. Right. Uh, last thing I've got, unless you've got, because we're going to have to break and get Rick in yeah, here. We're going to have to get... Get Rick here, yeah. Yeah. The last thing I have that I saw, uh, and, and and I have a personal connection to this because, you know, I had a, a home out in the Pacific Northwest mm-hmm. for 17 years. Um, environmental groups have filed a lawsuit seeking to preserve protections for 3.4 million acres of northern spotted owl habitat from the U.S.-Canada border to northern California. Um, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service cut the amount of protected federal old growth forest by one third. By one third in the final. Guess when that happened? During uh, President mm-hmm, Guy Orange Face's uh, administration, a move that was cheered by the timber industry. They hate the northern spotted owl. And and here's the point that I'm going to make. I mean, they so now we're fighting to save. 3.4 million acres, million acres of old growth. Of Checkerboarded we, across Oregon. Of which we have maybe, yes, it's not even one big area. It's their tiny little patches all over the place that the timber industry is salivating to get its hands on. When we have maybe 5 to 7% of old growth in North America left, period. If, when I become emperor... Old growth logging stops immediately and forever because you cannot replace an old growth forest. Period. You cannot. Mm-hmm. You can plant trees. You know, and that's always the argument. The argument is, oh, well, we're planting trees. Are you planting old growth? Is it going to be immediately yeah. old growth, which requires we, at least We 200. talked about that with Julian Hoffman a couple of weeks ago. Right. 200 years is what old growth, if I, if I have the definition right. 200 years to set up an ecosystem. Uh, And we've got old growth trees. And like I said, there should not be a single one cut down from this point forward because we don't have any left. It's just nuts. And of course they are the lungs of the planet Mm -hmm. uh, as we know. So that, uh, so I was stunned by that, that we're, you know, and they're still trying to figure out what it will the Biden administration has temporarily delayed putting the new rules into effect in order to review the decision. What's to review, Joe Biden? There's nothing to review. And 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 the, the way it's couched in these stories is we're trying to protect the spotted owl. Well, yeah, that to me, that's collateral. We're trying to protect the forests and then everything that's in the old growth forests. I don't get it. I do not get it. 
and uh, I, I, because this all happened at a time I had my house out there, I, I got to witness it firsthand and mm-hmm. the ugliness of the the um, the whole crusade. Uh, you know, people taking images of northern spouted owls and nailing them to pieces of wood and stuff. I mean, just stupid stuff, really. So, all right, I see Rick there. Um, I'm waving at him. He's waving at me. All right. Let's, hey, Rick. We'll, we'll get to him in just a second. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. I'm, I'm kind of, uh, uh, I got to calm down. Maybe I'll get. You're I'll, fired up there. I'm a little fired up. We'll be right back. <laughs> You can help slow climate change in 2021 by composting. And you don't even need a backyard. By composting communally in multi-unit buildings across Chicagoland, Collective Resource Compost has diverted 7,000 tons of food scraps since 2010. CRC brings you a fresh 5-gallon bucket or a 32-gallon neighbor tote with each pickup. You fill it with organic matter, they swap it out, and get it to a commercial composting operation. Fight climate change. Go to collectiveresource.us. At this time of year, we spend a lot of time indoors with our plants, so help them thrive. The plants you're viewing were treated with Leafzyme, a foliage spray designed to activate beneficial microbes already present on the leaves. A spritz every few weeks promotes growth-enhancing microorganisms that process dust and other particles into nutrition that indoor plants can absorb through their leaves for beautiful and vigorous growth. Go to blazing-star.com and check out their BioGarden line for home gardeners. And don't forget to go, when you go to Sitka Salmon Shares, use the link uh, at MikeNovak.net so that uh, you can get... And there's 20- a code. Yes, uh, the code NOVAK25, and uh, N-O-W-A-K-25. And, and I realized what I should have said to the... You know, I was getting all worked up about the old growth being cut down, and my reaction, you know, to that is... Oh, uh, that wasn't a bit nice. <laughs> You have made me very angry. <laughs> very angry indeed. Yes, that's the I way. I think that's actually, that's the reserved comments. That's the... <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. Oh, my goodness. Rick DeMaio, uh, you, you, you get me on the subject of old growth forests and mm-hmm. cutting down those ah, magnificent like... trees. Um, and I just go nuts to make paper or something. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Just, uh, dumb stuff. So how are you? Good morning, Rick. Good morning. Good morning, Mike. We're back in front of the map. We're back in front of the map today. We'll see how long the signal holds up. And you know, it wasn't any better up there. So I came back down here. Now you got a view um, of the geese and the ducks out your back window. Oh my God! Uh, sparrows, doves, geese, ducks—you um, name it. And then you know we wake up in the morning and they're they're little now sitting out there and they're tapping on the window. Um, <laughs> yeah, they're ready for breakfast. <laughs> they're ready for breakfast. Organic, uh, organic Cheerios is what we feed them. Is that... And then, like, well, seriously, I go. I'm to, sure that's good for I, them. Uh, well, no, we looked it up. You know, anything wheat is good. Uh, oh, really? We soak them in a little, yep, and we soak them in a little bit of water so it softens them up a little bit. Okay. Um, and then the, um, and then we still have all our uh, flower pots out because I like to leave all the stuff in there because the 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 animals kind of like it. It's like their own little forest. But um, the night before, we put out about probably. 
a handful of walnuts and we put them in the, mm-hmm. um, uh, the dirt. So the squirrels go out there and they know exactly where to go. So <laughs> it's they funny. They can't find the, the, the things they bury, but they can find the walnuts you put out there, huh? Everybody know. knows they just go to Rick's house and they can. Yeah. 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 Come Get all the snacks they want there. <laughs> You know, I'm I'm actually I'm actually going through a whole bunch of photographs here that I'm finally beginning to kind of um, you know um, re-coordinate and kind of recatalog. And I came across, you know, speaking of protesting, Mike, I came across this one here. I don't know how well you can see it. Yeah, I see it pretty mm-hmm. well. Okay, do, do you see me down there? Uh, I'm trying to see you. Where are you? Um, I'm way over here. Okay. Is, is it the long hair Rick or the short hair Rick? Yeah, I'm looking for the long haired Rick. Okay, there. Go, go oh, now hold it there back. Wait, let me uh I'm gonna get um it's okay. It can kind of see it. All right, there you okay. are. It's Rick. There you are. <laughs> yeah. So okay. This is this is the famous um no nukes rally in Central Park in nineteen um I wanna say nineteen eighty two. We had about a million people there, and uh, this was the group from Oswego that came down, Oswegonians United for Nuclear-Free Today, okay? Um, and this was, this, was a, this was a big deal. I mean, this was when, you know, the height of, you know, Reagan and the Cold War and all that other stuff. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I came across this. And then I came across this, which is, I think, was an amazing series of photos I took in my life. Um, you probably don't, I'd have to do a little bit of a setup here, but, um, that steeple is Teton village. And I'll give you a little bit of hint of a hint. Um, that's the summer of 1988 and to the North is Yellowstone national park. Okay. You know what happened in the summer of 1988 in Yellowstone national park? Uh, I'm trying to remember. Um, Half half the well about forty percent of the of the forest burnt down. That was the oh, year really? of the big drought. Oh, okay. Yeah, oh, right, right. Eighty eight. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, it it was all across the country. Here it was oh, ter- God, terrible. That was that was a sixty billion dollar hit to the agricultural mm-hmm. community and a hundred billion dollar hit to the economy. Uh, we had forty seven days above ninety that year. Uh, eight days or seven days above a hundred, and we literally went almost two months without a drop of rain. Um, so my brother and I, we had already planned a trip out there and while we were hiking every day, the smoke was getting bigger and, you know, larger and larger. Yeah. yeah. And this was, the end, this was the end of August and we got down to uh, Teton village and we looked North and sure enough, there is a pyro cumulonimbus cloud developing, um, mm. almost to 40,000 feet. Yeah. Really amazing. Wow. And the next day was when, uh, we actually drove through the park and they go, well, most of the park is closed right now, but just. Just stay away from the firefighters. And it was, I, I, I think about it today, that was history. So we, we were so inclined to know more about, you know, Yellowstone. We went back there during the wintertime. And here we are actually walking through um, Yellowstone in the wintertime. All the trees were literally burnt down to the ground. Wow. And it's the best time to see, the best time to see wildlife is to go to Yellowstone in the wintertime. It really is quite amazing. Yeah. I, I met, yeah. but they close some of it in the winter, don't they? Some of it's off limits. Oh yeah. Yeah. You yeah. can't get into the South end unless you're on a snowmobile. So you have to go to the North end. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then I, I caught a fish. Look at that. Look at that hunk. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Look at this. That fish. I, 
I want to use that photograph of you on our website. There we go. <laughs> I'll I'll send it to you. I'll send it. <laughs> yeah, I want a copy of that. You know, it's interesting or, though. Uh, you, you, know, oh. you know that one. That's the last one. There you there I am back at the Adirondacks. Um, wow, you you're yeah. just you're, it's it's uh it's uh it's, it's uh, Rickarama this morning. Exactly. Yeah. And I'm, I'm in my in my left there in my left hand there. I'm holding a um a little packet of bamboo. Before it was before it was legal. <laughs> okay, there you go. You guys know what bamboo is, right? <laughs> uh, sure, it's an invasive plant. Uh, it uh, you exactly right. put it in your backyard and it'll take over. So there you go. You know, you were talking about the the fires though. Um, if uh, uh, several years ago, Kathleen and I were on a trip out west, and I think it was 2012. Oh, okay. What's this? <laughs> That's the UP of Michigan. Everybody oh. knows that, right? <laughs> okay. What's that uh, uh, the uh, thermometer for? No, that's a measuring stick of how much snow they get. Oh, okay. So it was early in the yeah, season. Look, that was that was kind of late in the season because the snow is the snow is way up here. But if you look way at the top there, yeah, it says most snow ever three hundred ninety inches. The winter of wow. 390 inches pegged. That was the winter of 1978-79. Same. We had a lot of snow here that year, too. Yeah, yeah. Oh, tremendous amount of snow. I know, Peg, you had showed in some pictures, right, with you and your dad? Oh, that was from 1960. Oh, no, that was in the 60s, yeah. Yeah, in the 60s. So, um, yeah. I, it, you know, it's funny. The, the theme here is Rick and weather, right? <laughs> <laughs> hey, I don't know if you heard us earlier. We were talking about that new study that came out um, from NOAA. On the Great Lakes, um, and which one was, was this about? This, this um, is the um, the study talking about how winter's vanishing from the deep waters of Lake Michigan, and talking about lack of ice cover, things you talk about all the time. Warmer record yeah. warmth last summer, changing to changing the dimectic cycles. Yeah, I I haven't read it, but I I know I, I heard something about it where the 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 water temperature at the deep end is altering some somewhat and it's changing the migration of fish whether or not mm -hmm. that has any huge consequence on what's going on upstairs um i know but it's amazing because um you know the first two years before i went to wisconsin i went to oswego state um and i was looking at some pictures that i had of the lake shore in oswego state back in and this was in uh, the early 80s and there was like 20 feet of ice along the shoreline and it's like that's rare we don't get the 20 feet of ice along the shoreline anymore so similar to what we see here in lake michigan and lake ontario um it it's kind of um it's kind of scary and i haven't gotten back to my pictures yet of when i was in uh, uh grand teton up on up in the uh the high country but i have a picture of schoolroom glacier and one of my students last week when she was doing her report showed a picture of schoolroom glacier. It's up at about 10,500 feet. And I looked at it and I literally started to cry because yeah. it's about as of the picture that I have from 1988. And I'm just like, oh, my God, there's like nothing left. Yeah. So I'm going back to some of these pictures and I'm like going holy smoke, I got to get back up to Glacier National Park before there's no more yeah. glaciers. Yeah. And and up in Canada, too. Glacier up there. Just Now, I haven't been to either park 
probably in 15 years, but I remember from going there as a kid and then going there in the 90s. Even at that point, it was unbelievable, the difference. And is that Banff Peg, Banff Park in yeah. Alberta? Yeah, Banff and Jasper. Yeah, yeah. but so also Jasper, in Montana yeah. at, Gla at Glacier National Park, too. Yeah, so I think, you know, what Peg's talking about here, Mike, just real quickly, is that we kind of see these changes happen much quicker in the Great Lakes because they're a smaller ecosystem between less snow, um, less ice, you know, changes of water temperature, whether or not it's changing things real deep, because I haven't really gotten into that yet, I don't know. And then you got to go on the, in the Rocky Mountains, you almost have to go all the way back, you know, 30 or 40 years ago. Um, so yeah, it's kind of, um, it's kind of alarming. Um, I don't know if still the impacts on the Great Lakes are, are that significant. I, I know they are from a standpoint of, you know, we're down 10 inches water level just in the last six months. And that's because we've had uh, very little in the way of precipitation. Um, and it was cold enough that we had a lot of lake effect snow. The question is, you know, are we heading back into maybe a wetter pattern? Because it seems to be pretty stormy down to the south. But I was just looking at areas up north, uh, Green Bay, Wisconsin, northward to the UP of Michigan, Eagle River, uh, two inches of snow this morning. So the back edge of the storm system that gave us a lot of cloud cover, and it's pretty chilly out there, it's snowing mm. up to the north. Um, mm. And then the tornadoes down to the south, and we had six people die in uh, the Alabama area, and uh, five in Alabama, one in Georgia on Thursday. Um, so and yet there what, was another- yeah, F3, but it was on the ground for 94 miles. And you look at this and you go, my God, how did this miss, you know, some of these smaller towns? Again, I think we just got lucky. Yeah. But man, mm -hmm. when you look at how long that was on the ground, 94 miles, and only five people died or six, um, I think that's got to be attributed to good warnings at this point. Uh, and that uh, study that, uh, that Peggy was uh, referring to, they're, they're saying that, what happens on the surface of the water is having uh, a profound effect uh, on the deeper waters in the winter. So it's kind of, we're not getting the chilling effect in the winters as well. And it's, and it's just, it could change everything, including food supplies and, and local climates. Uh, it's, it's, it's pretty remarkable stuff. Yeah. I, I'd have to go back in there. I mean, I just scanned it. I was kind of busy yeah, this week. Just out. Yeah. Well, and anyway, we didn't yeah. we didn't throw that at you. We were talking about it earlier on the show because we wanted to get oh. to it. But you you sent us a, a pretty interesting article about how science <laughs> is coming back to uh, the White House. Imagine that. Uh, and uh, yeah, really, yeah. who needs that? Uh, and I love so, the the opening paragraph of the story. Uh, this is very funny. It's uh, more than a decade ago, a woman at a bar near the Columbia University campus turned to Gavin Schmidt and asked if he knew the main component of air. <laughs> and of course, we all learn this when we're in grade school, uh, and then some of us forget. But he says, yes, nitrogen, he replied. His answer lost her a bet about whether the average stranger at the bar would know anything about atmospheric <laughs> chemistry. Two years later, they oh, yeah. were married. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we all know it's oxygen, um, um, <laughs> right? But but those are the, the big the big two, nitrogen and oxygen. Right, right. And and strangely enough, um, water vapor actually has a lot more um, in it in the atmosphere from a standpoint of carbon dioxide. Um, it's much more of a powerful greenhouse gas 
in the short term, but carbon dioxide is much more powerful than greenhouse gas long term. So CO2 stays in the atmosphere at a constant level, but water vapor kind of goes up and down. I mean, it goes from like zero to 4%, basically. But, you know, getting back to that study about the Great Lakes, um, I, I don't know how surface water has an impact on water that's down all the way to 900 feet. I, I still don't understand that, but I don't know what they refer to as deep water. So is deep water 100 feet? Is deep water 150 feet, 200 feet? They we all know that. 400, they're at about 400 feet. 400, okay. Well, and they're, yeah, well, they're, mean, looking I, at, they're looking at year-round temperature changes through the entire water column rather than just the surface temperatures. Oh, okay. All right, that makes sense, yeah. And I'm, yeah, yeah. And so sure. there's... You know, it's it's just looking yeah. at subsurface waters in the deep lakes, also in addition to surface waters and how that's warming right. up and how it's affecting things. But, well, but the point they're making is that they think that, that the warming on the surface has an effect as the waters circulate and um, when they, what is it, when they go rise and go deeper, um, whatever that uh, process oh, is the called. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah, the thermocline. Yeah. 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 As it's it as it as it turns over, as it mixes in spring and fall. Right. And right. Yes. because the surface water is warmer, they're saying it's not cooling as much it as it turns over. Right. Yeah. No. That that makes a lot of sense. Um, because oftentimes um, we I think we we see that problem more so than anywhere in Lake um, Erie on the southwest side of the lake there around Toledo, Ohio, where they have these <laughs> algae blooms. That's really shallow. It's really warm. It never gets super deep cold water, which keeps the nutrient levels um, a little bit lower. Um, but the bottom line is uh, they've had just terrible, and also the runoff too from the farm mm-hmm. fields in there. Yeah. And man, if you've ever seen, um, I don't know if you guys have ever been up to uh, Lake Mendota uh, up in Madison during the summertime. Oh my God, there, there have been years up there where the entire lake goes green and brown and you can't even walk around it. It smells. So you can't swim in it. You can't enjoy it. And it's just, and it looks like almost the like fish a fish can't breathe in it. Yeah. Fish can't breathe in it. And, and, you know, here it is Lake Mendota, which is, you know, being studied by the University of Wisconsin in their limnology department. Um, and they're still getting very frustrated by some of the, you know, the runoff from some of the farm, farm areas yeah. into that lake. So yeah, it carries a green bay too. Absolutely. So getting back to um, rainfall, so um, we're still down about an inch. Uh, We got about a tenth of an inch um, yesterday to the south of us, um, about an inch and a half across central and southern areas of Illinois. So the southern Midwest is doing great from a standpoint of rainfall. The western Midwest and the northern part um, get hours. It's still kind of early. The ground temperature is at a perfect temperature, but even though we'll see readings probably climb back into the mid-60s, um, low to mid-60s tomorrow, mid to upper 60s on Tuesday, there is a wicked strong cold front that moves through uh, Tuesday night. Wednesday morning will be in the mid-30s. Wednesday afternoon, probably only up to 40, 45 degrees as we say hello to April. <laughs> um, and then I would not be surprised. Yeah, isn't that funny? Um, we'll actually be colder for the first day of April than we were in the first day of March. Go figure that out. Um, it's but it been normal like the last few up, years, though. It, it certainly has been, Peg. A lot of, lot of high degrees of variability here. Uh, but it definitely looks like we'll probably be under some sort of freezing conditions, meaning probably a hard freeze around here 
for both Wednesday morning, I'm, I'm sorry, Thursday morning and Friday morning. Mm. Now, we all know most of the stuff that's coming up right now will probably be able to handle that. Yeah. Um, I hope did any, you know, planning because it's way too early to plan. And I think most people listening to your show go, yeah, I get that. Uh, but yeah, it looks like <laughs> it could be cold. I don't think it could break a record, uh, but it'll definitely be a fairly good widespread hard freeze around here. Um, so two warm days, two cold days, and then right back up to the upper 60s. And I wouldn't be surprised if next Sunday, Easter Sunday, we're 75 degrees. Really? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, real rapid rise. Well, you know, it's funny. Earlier, uh, we had Evan Shore on from Bartlett Tree Experts, and we were talking about what happens to these trees when you go from 45 to 65, back to 45, and back up to 65. And, you know, some of them are uh, – people think that the, the tree hasn't leafed out. It's, is it time to take it down? And he says, just be patient, you know, that, uh, that, that could change. The other thing he said, though, which is kind of interesting, uh, in relation to the water table, um, th- what they've been seeing in the last few years is trees declining because they're waterlogged, because the water table has risen so much. Um, and so in a way, maybe us having a little bit less water is, is a good thing in this spring. Yeah. I don't yeah. know. I, I, I definitely think, you know, the fact that we've had two extremely wet years, the past uh, two springs, it's good to get a break. <laughs> I, I think we need a break. Um, and we've been getting it. So as much as you want the rain, we'll get it. We'll be fine. We'll, we'll definitely get through. And if you notice, even though we haven't had some, uh, you know, some decent rain, the ground's pretty soft. It, it's fairly mm-hmm. moist. Um, it's not yeah. like we're, we're hurting from that standpoint. Um, but it definitely looks like so far we are, I was just looking at the numbers before the show, 6.8 degrees above normal for the month. The average high right now is 44, and that puts us at the 10th, warmest march ever the 10th wow, warmest. Wow. that's pretty darn good <laughs> yeah i know all, all of a sudden it snuck up on us um and if you look at the numbers from the month of february we were 7.5 degrees below normal now we're seven above that's a 15 degree swing so it's not like we went from february to march we went from january to april this has almost been like like a normal april except that you haven't had a bunch of days in the 70s but it hasn't been that cold. We haven't had much in the way of snow. And even though we did get a couple of little snows here and there, they were minor. They were gone, I think, in less than, in less than two days. So even though we had that pocket of, of cold air over us, you know, for that three-week period, the pattern has gone right back to where it was in November, December, and even January as well. Highly variable with a really strong, you know, westerly flow and a little bit of an influx mm-hmm of gulf moisture matter of fact it was really neat um real quickly the other day we had tornado watches across the deep south and it was snowing up in the up of michigan i mean that's just that's just the way it goes sometimes in the month of march and it's spring you're right one of the things i've noticed it seems to have been rather windy It, it seems like i i wake up every morning and i'm hearing that wind out there and i'm thinking wait another day where we're going to have gusts like that. But is that just typical spring or has this been a particularly windy spring? It's, it's been a, it's been a a very progressive pattern. So we've had like, I think four mid latitude cyclones that have all been going to the South of us. Um, But yesterday, I mean, O'Hara got to 65. I was up in the Wilmette area and you can almost see your breath at like 40 afternoon. It was, I think 51 degrees right along the lakefront. My son, drove up from he was doing some had some stuff to do so he goes 
Dad, I was down in Cicero. I got up here and the temperature dropped 15 degrees. <laughs> so, I mean, I mean, even from like Cicero to Evanston, it went literally down 15 degrees because yeah. he literally crossed the front. And then this time of the year, when that front is south, you got the lake breeze. And it was cloudy out as well. So it was pretty darn chilly yesterday. Yeah, afternoon. Never did warm so up by the lake. What's that? What's that it never did warm up by the lake yesterday. No, no, it, it, it never did. Uh, in fact, I don't think it got out of the 40s across northeastern Lake County while it was in the upper 60s in like southwestern Cook County. Mm. Um, so yeah, that's just typical for this time of the year. Yeah. All right. Well, you kind of gave us the forecast there. A a couple of days of warmth, a couple of days of real cold, and then it pops back in the middle of all that. Any precipitation? Um, I hope one day I'm going to be able to get to live in something like that. Isn't that a nice lot of snow? (laughs) Yeah. I know. uh, (laughs) Where where is that? That's the UP of Michigan. That is um, uh, the Keweenaw Peninsula. I don't know if you guys ever been up there in the March of February. No, not, oh, not, no, in, February, not no. in February, no. My, no, like go, June, July, but not February. No, go up there the end of February, and you're guaranteed a, a, a solid four and a half, five feet of snow as a base. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, you know me. I, I love snow. I know um, you do. So I mean, there, you know, there, there I am in the Keweenaw Peninsula, and earlier that year, I was skiing out in Yellowstone National Park, you know? Um, so anyway, um, so – only mid forties today, but the sun is only about two hours away. Literally, with another hour and a half, you're going to see some brightness of the sky. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh huh. Uh huh. Um, yeah. Right. I'm <laughs> in. I'm in three hours. I'm in three hours. Uh-huh. Oh God. Um. I got. I got to put the female filter on there, Mike. Ever notice that? It's like no matter what you say, you'll always be corrected that you were wrong. Uh. Right. Now. 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 <laughs> Calm down. No, I'm serious. I'm serious. Um, nice to meet you, as my mother would say. Um, so sorry about that thing. Um, but all right, three hours, we'll get some sunshine in there. Um, and then tomorrow, uh, probably like 64 for a high, 70, like 68, and then back into the mid-40s on Wednesday with temperatures probably only upper 20s for Thursday and Friday. So pretty cold stuff. But good news, uh, right back into the 60s on Saturday and probably low to mid-70s on Easter Sunday. All Nothing right. in the way of any significant precip though. Nothing. Nothing. Really? Okay. We'll yeah. see we'll see how that plays out too because uh you know uh, as we say it might be good for the trees but it in the short run it might cause some other problems. Uh Rick DeMile, thank you so much. Have a great Sunday. Uh are we going to see you on Easter Sunday? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay, sure. Just checking. Just wanted to make sure. Okay. All right, then have a fantastic week. I'll talk to you soon. See you next week. The tropics. The tropics. Ah. All right. With more photos, we'll have more photos next week with Rick DeMaio. Okay. That's uh, that's about it. I think we need to get out of here. Two real quick things. Um, uh, uh, we ha- Oh, and I, of course, I t- hit the button mm-hmm. and, it, and it goes out. I was looking at uh, the comments here. Uh, Tracy DeMarco said, all national forests should ban uh, old tree logging or old growth logging uh, unfortunately that's the problem with the national forests they're the ones that facilitate logging it's the national parks that preserve our the areas but um it's resource allocation is uh the national forest job and that means sometimes logging so 
we got to get we got to get the old growths out of the uh, national forest or get the national forest service out of the the old growth if old we want growth to areas pre- preserve make, some make of that and parks and uh, deb says i was marching at an anti nuclear parade while 8 months pregnant back in 1977 good for you glad you were doing that all right let's uh let's get out of here thank everybody uh for being on the show evan shore from bartlett tree experts go to bartlett.com um and uh, Rick DeMaio, meteorologist extraordinaire. I want to thank mm-hmm. Kathleen. I want to thank Basil the dog and Legata the cat. I want to thank my new ring light. Woohoo! Uh, I want to thank Looney Tunes for uh, the drop ins. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, the BBC's Alan. Uh, Alan, Alan, Alan. I would do it now, but I'm sure I would screw up the music. So until next time, go green or go home. Stadler? Yeah, what? Is that it? Yes, it's over. How'd you like it? I don't know. I slept through the whole thing. Well, you didn't miss much.